Downtown Deland is a happening place these days. Um, some weeks ago, as you recall, an attorney uh, from a Deland Attorney began to hire. He hired some young ladies to go down there and give out some uh, literature that he had printed and hold some signs. And a couple of boys walked by and saw the three girls there and decided to stand there with them and encourage them. And after they were finished, the girls agreed to go to the bar and drink with the boys. And when the word got out in the bars that easy girls would go drink with you if you'd go downtown to land and hold signs, that the crowd just is growing and growing and growing and growing. I believe this uh, Friday afternoon, uh, this past Friday afternoon, they're probably, uh, by, the, by the time 6, 6.30 got there, there were probably 40 to 50 uh, people there of all ages with a variety of uh, signs and a variety of uh, points of contention. Now, the good part of that is, for many years, it was kind of discouraging work down there as we had dozens of our people uh, racing each other to hand a gospel tract to the one person that walked by. Now you have a goodly number of people there who aren't taking tracts, but they're there. They're standing there. They're not going anywhere. You can stand beside them and witness to them. Uh, you can stand behind them and witness to them. You can stand, if they're not too close to the curb, in front of them and witness to them. And if they say they don't want to hear it, then they're free to leave. And uh, if you like to preach to lost people, you don't get to do that very much in church. But what an opportunity to preach to unsaved people and give them the good news of the gospel. And I guarantee you that they can turn their back on your signs. They can turn down your tracks. They can... Uh, walk away as you try to witness to them that if they stay in that downtown area, they are not going to avoid hearing the preaching of the Word of God. So we need... Uh, now, here's the trouble. There's, there's a few of us, and there's an unlimited number of them. And we can't, we, we can't recruit... Uh, well, we could, but we wouldn't get anywhere. We, we can't really recruit outside our little assembly here so we need all the help we can get from Bible Baptist Church, and uh, this thing's going to become popular. It's going to become the thing to do. It's going to be the, the happening thing in the land for a while to come down and harass the Christians and come down and make fun of the Christians. And so we need to be there, and we need to be there with the right heart and the right attitude and view this as for what it is. It's an opportunity to tell people about Jesus and and they're standing there, they're a captive audience. As long as, as long as they're there, you can talk to them about the Lord. And what we found, uh, f with, the, with the exception of a couple of uh, people just didn't have any decent parental upbringing, um, if, you can, if you can engage them in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, by the end of that conversation they'll say, well, you're okay, but the rest of these people are no good. And see, the problem is they just have this bigoted prejudice against Christianity. And while they consider themselves to be broad-minded and, and tolerant and, and liberal and all the rest of that, they're, they're, all, they, all they believe is what was spoon-fed them by their school teachers and their college professors. And they, they, all, all they know about Christianity is the 30-second shots they've seen of the Westboro psychos on the, on the TV and so it's an opportunity to let them hear the gospel, which most of them never heard. It's an opportunity for them to be witnessed to by a Christian, which most of them have never experienced. And it's an opportunity for, 
for you, for us, to do what we sing about and what we profess, and that is to stand up for Jesus. I was thinking yesterday that that song kept running through my mind, Are There No Foes for Me to Face? You know, we, we sing, Am I a Soldier of the Cross, a Follower of the Lamb? And that, that songwriter, it, you know, for years we've had a free pass down there. We really have. We go down, we hold our signs, we preach, we give out our tracts, and a business person comes out once in a while and raises a stink. But we, we've not really had any kind of opposition that rises to this, to this level. And that's, that's okay. Let people see the difference between people who believe in Jesus Christ and believe the Bible and people who are paying $30,000 a year for college education, scribbling nonsense on poster boards with magic markers. I mean, when you're standing there and you're a third-year student at Stetson with a sign that's holding a sign that says, God hates signs, that can't possibly hurt us. <laughs> My theory has always been the best way to sell bananas is have somebody set up a stand next to you selling rotten bananas. And so anyway, we want to come with a good attitude, and we want to come prayed up, and we want to come to witness, and not to argue, and not to fight. Now, we also got to pray, what's going to happen is the more people come down there, the more it's going to be a magnet for every, every, everybody in the world that's got something to say in some kind of cause. There was some guy down there Friday afternoon with a hat on could preach twice as loud as, as I could, twice as loud as Ed could, and he's screaming at Ed. Somebody showed him in a rescue mission one time, I'm sure, that, that uh, in Psalm 46, God told them to shake the spear, and that proves that Shakespeare wrote the Bible, and he's screaming that at the top of his lungs. It's not King James, it's Shakespeare. King James didn't write it. Shakespeare wrote it. And he got carrying on like that, and I turned to the two Stetson kids next to me, I said, he's got to be one of yours. <laughs> and they said, no, we've thought he was one of yours. I said, he's never down here till you guys came, so you got him. And the, and the cop turned around and said, seems like nobody wants him. <laughs> I said, I, <laughs> so it's, it's going to become a circus, but here's, here, here, listen, here's how you know you're dealing with such a bunch of hypocrites in this world. For, for 25 years... Over and over and over again, the merchants and the news media have raised this stink that 10 people down there on those corners are ruining the business in downtown Deland. Now you've got 60, 70, 80 people standing down there and not a peep from the news media, not a peep from the merchants. So they're not opposed to signs, congregating, preaching. What they're opposed to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's And, and that's... That's proven every time one of these things get, gets going. But anyway, uh, we're going to go Thursday just for fun from 5 to 6 and then come here and meet together have church. So anybody free Thursday, 5 to 6. If you like, the, um, if you like public ministry light, Thursday, 5 to 6. If, if you like public ministry with the sauce on top and the spices in it, and, uh, and all the extras uh, Friday afternoon. So we need, we need a group at 4.30 to, to stake out our territory. And, you know, we, we, we went from the signs. We took the banners Friday. We had the two big banners and the, and the uh, you must be born again sign. And, 
and that worked pretty well. If we have to, uh, out in the shed out there, we've got one of our old billboards from the highway, 12, 12 feet high and 48 feet long. <laughs> we just go out there and we just all line up, hold that thing up best we can. So, so that's how you win a war. You just you just have the bigger weapons. So anyway, let's turn in our Bibles to. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans 11, Romans chapter 11. It has been my contention for many, many years that most people, including independent Baptists, do not believe what they profess to believe, and they certainly don't believe what their church believes. They just know they need to be religious and they go where their parents went or where their friends go. And I don't want to be one of those Christians who, when he's put on the spot, won't stand up and, and say to the world, I believe what I profess to believe. I want to believe what I say I believe. Now, I've got a news article here that will prove conclusively that the Roman Catholic Church does not believe what they claim to believe. And I'll, I'll explain that to you. Headline, Reuters. U.S. Bishop may have exposed churchgoers to hepatitis during communion. Catholics in North Dakota were warned to watch for symptoms of hepatitis A after a bishop with the disease served communion at four churches, putting worshipers at risk, state officials said. Bishop John Fulda of the Catholic Diocese of Fargo got hepatitis from contaminated food while in Italy last month for a conference of newly ordained bishops, according to Allison Magelke, spokeswoman for the diocese. She said that on Friday. Fulda served communion during Mass at three churches in Fargo and one church in Jamestown between September 27 and October 7, according to the North Dakota Department of Health. The Mass in Jamestown was at a convention of priests. He feels terrible about it, McGelkey said. He did not know when coming back that he had contracted the virus or he would have refrained from participating in the Mass much sooner, period, end of quote. Now, why didn't the spokeswoman for the Archdiocese of the Roman Catholic Church go to the health department and say, you don't understand. He turned the bread into the body of Christ before anybody ate it. And he turned the wine into the blood of Christ before anybody drank it. And you couldn't possibly get hepatitis from the body and blood of Christ because he's sinless. Now, that's what they claim to believe. Why didn't they say, why didn't they tell the health department what they believe? Why would you apologize? We didn't know he had hepatitis. It doesn't matter if he has hepatitis. He magically transformed the bread into the body of Christ. Jesus doesn't have hepatitis. He didn't have hepatitis 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross. So if you turn the bread into the crucified body of Christ, it doesn't have hepatitis. Now, I don't believe that. But he claims to believe that. And his church claims to believe that. And you know why they didn't say that to the health department? Because either they believe it and they're embarrassed... Or they don't believe that for a minute. 
That's the only, that's the only two reasons. Now, if you believe it and you're embarrassed, you ought to resign. And if you don't believe it, but you're just lying to everybody, then you ought to resign. Either way, they ought to shut the thing down. And so anybody that reads that, uh, that's, that's a Roman Catholic, ought to say, well, wait a minute. Why didn't my church tell them about transubstantiation? Because they don't believe it. Now, now listen, I, I, I can prove to you. Um, McGelkey said Fulda is feeling better. And has not been infectious since October 16, but is still not on a full work schedule. Priests who attended Fulda's Mass in Jamestown were notified directly of the bishop's illness, she said, uh, and are being examined. Why would they go and be examined? Do they believe that they ate contaminated bread, or do they believe they ate the body of Christ? Do they believe they drank contaminated wine, or do they believe they drank the blood of Jesus? Why would they go and get checked to see if they have hepatitis if they believe what they claim to believe about transubstantiation? Because they don't believe it. Pretty simple, as far as I'm concerned. But then I'm a simple guy. Hepatitis A can cause infection of the liver and is found in the feces of infected people, according to the health department. Not sure how you come back from a dinner in the Vatican. <laughs> Surely they have running water over there. It is most often spread when people with the disease fail to wash their hands thoroughly and then touch other people. Ugh. The risk of people getting hepatitis A in this situation is low, but the Department of Health felt it was important for people to know about the possible exposure. Molly Howell, immunization program manager for the agency, said in a news release. Okay, I hope you don't just come to a church that believes the Bible. I hope you believe the Bible. I hope you don't just come and listen to a preacher who says Jesus is the only way to heaven. I hope you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Many, many, many people from the leadership all the way down attend churches and do not believe what those churches believe, including these bishops. So either they're embarrassed, which they shouldn't be if they got the truth, or they don't believe their own church's doctrine, which is quite possible. But anyway, that's, that's the news. I don't just, I'm, I mean, everybody's free to, we're, we're independent Baptists, right? We're all free to do whatever we want to do. I'll pass on communion if we're all drinking out of the same cup. I'm sorry. I, I just <laughs> love you, but don't want to drink after you. Not 200 of you. Bad enough when everybody hacks and coughs and requests prayer for their flu and their, and their bronchitis and everything else. And then we have a handshake chorus and we all <laughs> go around and shake hands with each other in the church service. Uh, wait a minute. <coughs> good to see you, brother. Yeah, good to see you too. Get your hand away from me. So, anyway, all right, let's go to Romans chapter number 11, Romans 11. I'm rising and falling up here, guys. I don't know if you can hear it in the sound room. We gain volume, we lose volume, it's up, it's down. It might be my ears clearing and un, uncle, unclearing, is that a word? It is now. What's that? It is going up and down. Okay, Pat's having ear trouble too. Or else. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 11, verse number 
25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. All members of the Israelite race, the Jewish people, are not lost. But the vast majority are. Blindness has affected, spiritual blindness has affected that nation. Not all of them. What's happening in the meantime, the Lord is saving thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Gentiles and they are becoming Christians along with a few Jews and together those saved Gentiles, those saved Jews are making up the body of Christ. But here's the future promise. And so, all Israel shall be saved. There's a coming day. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. Capital D. It's a person. The Deliverer. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved. For the Father's sakes. Father, help us tonight, we pray, to see and know the truth and then live and practice the truth that we have seen and profess to believe. And we thank you for helping us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as quickly as we can. God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. And man uh, was fruitful, he multiplied, he replenished the earth. But the race, after the fall of Adam, went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin till the day came when every imagination of the hearts of men was only evil continually from his youth up. It repented God in his heart that he made man. He determined to drown them out in a flood. He saved Noah and his family. They were the only ones who believed God enough to get in that ark. They got off the ark, and God said to Noah and his family, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And they did. Babies, 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 babies. Soon the earth was, was populated once again. But man once more failed dramatically. Lord looked in on them. They were building a tower whose top would reach to heaven down there at Babel. The Lord came down, confounded their language, and scattered them to the ends of the earth. And they, 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 they went all different directions as they huddled together based upon a common language. This language group here, this language group there, and so forth. All clearly spelled out in the Bible. In the very next chapter, Genesis 12, God looked down upon all of those groups of people and He called out a man, Abraham, and said, I'm going to make of you a people, and through that people I'm going to show forth my purposes, I'm going to make known my covenants, I'm going to bring my Messiah, my Savior into the world, and, and he chose Abraham. Abraham had a son Ishmael and a son Isaac. God said the promise goes to Isaac. Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. He said the promise goes to Jacob. And so the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob became God's chosen people called in, in Romans chapter 11, His elect. The elect nation of Israel rejected the elect Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Romans 11 says, as touching the gospel, they are enemies. As touching the promises, they are elect. 
So the idea that election and salvation are the same is not a biblical idea. That's a, that's a philosophical idea. It's not a biblical idea. God has an elect people, the nation of Israel. To those people, starting with Abraham, he gave great promises, exceeding great and precious promises. He gave them promise of a land, territory. He didn't give that promise to any other people. He gave, he gave promise of covenant blessings, of physical health, of prosperity, of safety from their enemies round about. All those promises he gave to the nation of Israel conditioned upon their obeying the law that he gave them at Mount Sinai. From the day he gave that law to this present hour, they have never kept it. They've never even made a good run at keeping it. In fact... Every hundred years or so, one man or one woman within the nation of Israel would obey God and seek to honor Him and seek to keep His law. And that would be such a radical departure from their countrymen that God would write entire chapters and books in the Bible about the exploits of this one person who trusted God and believed His Word. But the nation as a whole, just nothing but failure. From the beginning, they come out of, the, out of Egypt on the way to the promised land. They don't believe God enough to go into the promised land. It's 40 years, wilderness wandering and death. They get in the promised land. God says, destroy all the peoples of the land because they're corrupt and they will corrupt you if you don't destroy them. They destroyed part and then quit and let the rest of them stay. And they end up being corrupted thereby. The book of Judges, 40 years in captivity for disobedience. They repent, come out for the 30 years of captivity of disobedience again and again and again and again. Finally, the 10 northern tribes are carried away into Chaldea, completely gone. Two southern tribes go into captivity in Babylon some, some decades or centuries later. And for 400 years, God has nothing to say to the nation of Israel until an announcement is made. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. Go out there in the manger and see that deliverer. And the deliverer is the one who, according to Romans 11, is going to bring about the final fulfillment of of all the promises God made to Abraham and his people, despite their rebellion, despite their unbelief, despite their failure through all the centuries, God keeps his promises. But it's going to take a deliverer. Now, read the verse again. Romans 11, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion... The Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant to them, when I shall take away their sins. The problem in the Middle East is the same problem in our living rooms. It's sin. It's not politics. It's not oil. It's not treaties. It's not government it's not CIA. The problem in the Middle East is sin. If the children of Israel had not sinned against God, if they had not lived ungodly lives, there would have been no warfare in that land from the day they finally conquered its borders in, under Joshua till this present day. God would have caused them to dwell safely in their land. But because of sin, 
because of their sin, all these captivities, all this dispersion, all these thousands of years of suffering by the Jewish people and the Gentile people alike. The wages of sin is death. The Bible never says the wages of government is death. The Bible never says the wages of politics is death. The Bible never says the wages of education. It's the wages of sin. And if Israel would ever be delivered from their ungodliness and delivered from their sin, then God could fulfill all the promises that He made to them. I got a book in the library. You ought to check it out sometime. It was put out on the 50th anniversary of the political rebirth of the nation of Israel. The Bible points to the spiritual rebirth of Israel. That hasn't happened yet. We just read about it. It will. It points to political rebirth in 1947. And, and what it is, it's, got, it's a big book, about, about this big, and it's got a double page for each year of those 50 years, and it tells what happened in, those, in that particular year. And so here it'll be on this page. Jews, Americans, Europeans, Arabs meet... For peace negotiations. On the right hand page, hurrah, peace treaty signed. Flip the page, next page, Egypt attacks Israel. Flip the page, peace treaty, peace talks begin. Next page, peace treaty, flip the page. Israel attacked by Lebanon. And it just goes on and on and on and on for 50 years because Carter can't deliver Israel and Arafat can't deliver Israel and Iksat Rabin can't deliver Israel and Moshe Dayan can't deliver Israel and Bill Clinton can't deliver Israel and Henry Kissinger can't deliver Israel. It's going to take a deliverer with a capital D who can deliver them from their ungodliness and their sin. And that's why as long as we are looking for solutions in our own life, in our own nation, in the, in the world's setup, that don't deal with sin, they're not going to help. They're not going to help. Because the problem is a sin problem. It's not a politics problem. It's a sin problem. It's not an economic problem. It's sin. And God promised one day the Deliverer would come not out of Washington, not out of Beijing, not out of Rome, not out of Mecca. The Deliverer would come out of Zion. And until He comes, your headlines will, will be along the lines of ungodliness and sins. Until that Deliverer comes, you can cancel your subscription to the newspaper. You can cancel your special insider access to the secret website because it's just going to be more of the same until Jesus comes. Nobody's going to make a dent in it till Jesus comes. And He's coming. The Deliverer's coming. So when I say that, people get discouraged because they really want something to fix these problems. But it's like we said this morning with the door. The only deliverer is Jesus. There's not any other deliverer. Nobody else can do it. Um, I, I was about the last person in town to get a cell phone. Some of you remember that. You used to make fun of me for not having one, and I wasn't ever going to get one, and now I have one. And then I was, I, I think it was, I think we were the last church, that, the last church that existed when Al Gore invented the Internet to, to have a website, and I was probably the last person to get email and all that. I just, I didn't want it, and... Most of the time, now I wish I didn't have it. But 
Let, let, me, let me tell you, just to help you, I can save you some time. I was leaving to go to work last week, I think it was Tuesday, I think it was Wednesday, and as I was pulling out of the dirt road where, that we live on, onto Highway 44, there was a freshly smitten possum laying by, beside the road. And I glanced over, and all I had to do was glance and see that it was dead. The possum was dead. I didn't have to check its vital signs, didn't look for a pulse. It just, you could tell, it was dead. Trust me, it wasn't playing dead. When it's playing dead, stuff isn't coming out of it. This one was, this one was, you know, it was dead. Now, here's what I don't need. I don't need somebody to go out there every hour and report to me on the decomposition process of the possum. It's dead. I know what's going to happen to it. Update. Possum swelling. Oh, email. Send to everybody. Possum swelling. Check it out. I don't need an update a few hours later when it bursts. Gas cloud. Noxious fumes. You'll puke if you get close to it. Forward this to everybody. I don't need an update on when the maggots move in. I don't need an update on when the buzzards land. It's dead. I know what's going to happen to it. Okay? So please, please, I love you. You love me? Don't send me any more emails about Obama. I know how it's going to go. I took one glance. When he first got hit, I saw him laying there by the road. I knew what it was. It's DOA. I don't need to know that you spotted another three maggots moving in and out of the nose. I don't need to know that three more green flies landed on the dead possum. I got it. It's dead. Okay? I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to witness. I don't need any more updates on the roadkill. It's not going to change anything. You know what's going to happen in the Middle East tomorrow? Barring the rapture, the same thing that's been happening in the Middle East since the first fight between Ishmael and Isaac in the tent. Mom, what is it, Isaac, baby? <laughs> Ishmael's being mean to me. Ishmael, you stop that. I'll tell Dad. Dad thinks you're a baby. It's been going on 5,000 years. It's going to keep going on till what? Till the deliverer comes. That's what's going to happen. Uh, now, I, 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 I probably, no doubt, if you went back and read in, the, in, in Samuel, you'd say, this is it. David's going to do it. David's going to bring deliverance, but he didn't. Probably if you'd have seen the fire fall on Mount Carmel and Elijah was out there, he'd say, this is it. Elijah's going to do it, but he didn't do it. Probably when, when uh, Jesus was working all those miracles and healing all those people and rebuking those scribes and Pharisees and making those rulers tremble, they said, this is it, it's coming, it's going to happen now. But until Christ reigns on the throne at Jerusalem and Israel repents of their ungodliness and turns from their sin, nothing is going to change in this old world. I hope that shouldn't depress you. Jesus is the answer. We say that we claim to believe that. That to answer Jesus, He's the deliverer. All right, come to Psalm 14. Psalm number 14. 
I remember the worst thing happened in our country was finding out Nixon lied. That's shocking news. Well, a, pre- a president lied to us? Well, it didn't shock my parents. They remembered Eisenhower lying to them about um, Gary Powers and the YouTube. We're, we're not flying. No YouTube flights over Russia. Now, I don't know where they get that idea. That no, we're not doing any spy surveillance uh, flights over Russia. You can trust me. I'm Dwight D. Eisenhower, hero of World War II. Week later, uh, well, <laughs> one of our <laughs> pilots got shot down. You know, our spy planes that were going over Russia. Look, all men are liars. Why are you shocked that a president lies, or a premier lies, or a pope lies, or a uh, just tell people about Jesus, get people saved, look forward to the deliverer coming. Amen. Come on, cheer up, folks. <laughs> Psalm fourteen, verse number. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's see. Verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Here's his conclusion. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice. Now, when you read those first six verses, you come to the conclusion, if that's what God sees when he looks at all men, then we're hopeless. And so the psalmist says, no, not, not, not yet. Verse 7, the salvation of Israel will come. Who's that? That's the deliverer. Jesus comes, he'll fix that thing. Now, we're, we're, we're six years removed from most independent Baptists saying, well, nobody could be worse than Hillary. Well, careful what you say. Because... Somebody turned out to be worse than Hillary, and you might get Hillary next. Not, no, wait. Here's why you've got the guy you've got now. And here's why you're liable to get Hillary next time. Because millions of people are going to go to a, to a voting booth who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior who don't know what the Bible teaches, and who don't know righteousness from unrighteousness. You're not going to fix that with a candidate. You're only going to fix that with the gospel. I don't think we're on, guys. We're not, we're not. Need, to, need to turn the mic on. No, nobody's hearing me. The only way you're going to get somebody to do right is if they get right. And the only way somebody's going to get right is if they get saved. And the only way a saved person is going to know how to get right and then know how to do right is if they get in the Bible. So the answer to this thing ultimately has to be that we preach the gospel to every creature and win our neighbors to Jesus Christ and get them in a Bible church. Thanks, it was the mic. That's what it was. We just had had to get a little more volume. 
See, if you don't agree, if you don't say amen, we'll just keep turning it up. We, we got a new sound system. We, we, we can make you say amen. <laughs> Get that squealing thing out of this monitor going again. <laughs> All right. So, my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. My first, my, I, I, got 18, I was 18 years old in 1976. And because the old people were conservative. And the reason they were conservative is they had jobs and money they didn't want taken from them. And all the young people were liberal, and the reason they were liberal is they didn't have jobs and didn't have money, and they wanted somebody to take the money from the old people who had jobs and money and give it to them. And so I did what all the freshmen in college did. I voted for Jimmy Carter. I didn't know the first thing about him except he smiled and he was cool and he had rock bands played his political campaigns. So he must know a lot more about what's going on in the world than those old guys in the suits. Now you tell me what's changed from that day to this. You got one group of people with jobs and money who don't want to give it up and you got one group of people with no jobs and no money who want somebody to take it from the people who won't give it up and give it to them. Nothing's changed. That's our country. And this is the best one on earth. If you don't believe it, go to Moldova, go to Guyana, go to uh, Haiti, go to, go, just, just take a mission trip, go to the Philippines, go anywhere else but this one. I, I say this all the time, but pe- people don't get it through their heads. Nobody in the Keys is building a raft out of styrofoam hoping to float to Castro's Cuba. <laughs> this is the best place there is. I mean, you're here, you're free to be Believe what you want to believe and uh, thank the Lord for that. So anyway, and here's what I believe. I believe nobody's going to fix this thing but Jesus. And I believe Jesus is going to fix it. I believe he's going to come. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to ride in Jerusalem. They're going to crown him with many crowns. He's going to sit on that throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. And and when Israel finally sees him whom they pierce, they'll repent. They'll humble themselves. They'll turn from their ungodliness. They'll turn from their iniquity. And then they'll go forth into all the world and teach them what Jesus said to go teach as he intended for them from the beginning. And you're going to have a thousand years of peace on this earth. The devil raises his head at the end of that thousand years. Lord throws him in a lake of fire. Makes a new heavens, a new earth, where it indwelleth righteousness. The problem this thing is sin. And nobody but Jesus is going to solve the sin problem. Now this last time around, you had a, you had a choice between whoever's writing Obama's speeches and Romney. Well, Obama's health care law, he hadn't read ten pages of it. It's not his health care law. He didn't write it. He hadn't read it. He's the front man for the carnival. He goes out and, and, and sells the thing. Or your alternative was a guy who thinks that one day he's going to be a god and have his wife pregnant for a million years until they populate their own planet where everybody worships him like we worship Jesus. That's a guy I want carrying around the, the nuclear football. <laughs> Now, Mr. President, how about future God to you, please? Oh, yes, yes, sir. Mr. Future Deity, uh, here's here's the code to all our atom bombs. (laughs) Come on. 
Are you going to trust Jesus? Now, I'd like to see a saved man. I'd like to see a saved man that proclaims the gospel win as President of the United States and get on there in his State of the Union address, tell everybody they need to repent, be born again, and trust Jesus. I dream about that all the time. When I was a young man, I, th- I, I talked to some preachers about the possibility of going to school and becoming a Catholic priest and working my way up until I could become the Pope. And then my first midnight mass reveal that I was a sheep in wolves' clothing and stand out there in the Vatican and preach the gospel, tell everybody how to get saved. Wouldn't that be cool? Just rip off the robes, <laughs> pull out the Bible, and say, let me tell you something. Christ died for our sins one time. Just preach the word. It'd be fun. Wouldn't last long. My presidency wouldn't last long either. State of the Union address. Well, number one, <laughs> all of sin come short of the glory of God. <laughs> number two, the wages of that sin is just get up and preach the gospel. And I'd like to see that happen. Um, but the people I know that say they're saved won't even go to church. Much less rally behind somebody that's going to stand up for Jesus. So my hope is in the deliverer. Now I hope the Lord, I hope the Lord will give us some relief and give us some peace. I'd like to have a Christian mayor and Christian city council and Christian governor and Christian police chief and uh, Christian school board superintendent. I'd like to have all those people saved. But you're never going to get saved people elected unless you get enough people saved to elect saved people. So ultimately it comes down to we've got to preach the gospel. We've got to win, win people to the Lord. All right, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm all, listen, I'm for, I'm for righteousness, truth. Um, this has nothing to do with anybody anybody's said to me in the last two years. We need, I told, told somebody for church this evening, ever since that ill-advised um, ballot for the peanut farmer, I, th- I think every election since then, I've gone in and voted against somebody. I don't remember ever having anybody to vote for as a Bible-believing Christian. It'd be nice to have somebody to vote for. Instead of holding your nose and voting for the, the rotting cheddar cheese instead of the Limburger cheese, you know what I'm saying? Which one, which one stinks the least? Pull the lever that way. But anyway, this not, we're not talking about politics now. We're talking about an answer greater than politics. The Bible says Hebrews 2. Can Jesus do it? Hebrews chapter number 2, verse 14. For as much then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now look what the deliverer can do. He can not only deliver Israel from their political situation in the world, He can deliver those who trust Him as Savior from their fear of death. Praise the Lord. There's only two ways you can be be free from the fear of death. Become a total fool 
There's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell. I just rot in a grave like a dog. But you will only hold to a lack of fear of death going the fool's route until death begins to approach you. And you can say, well, I don't care. There's no heaven, there's no hell. I just think I'm going to be reincarnated or I think I'm just going to be annihilated. But when you find out there's something wrong with you and you might die, you will be scared. So... That route, that, 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 that road only goes so far. The other way is to know that Jesus Christ has given you everlasting life. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to depart and be with Christ is far better than being here. And that, that certain knowledge that Jesus Christ has given you eternal life will deliver you from the fear of death. He's the deliverer. And he's the only one that can deliver you from that lifelong. But how did he do it? How did he do it? Verse 14, by destroying the devil. When did he destroy the devil? When he died upon the cross, his payment, the payment that he made for sin allowed him to break the devil's hold upon our hearts and upon our minds. If my sins are paid for, I don't have to be afraid of standing before God. If my sins are paid for, I don't have to be afraid of dying and either standing at the white throne judgment or dying and going to hell. Jesus delivered us from the fear of death by the death that he died upon the cross at Calvary. He's the deliverer. He's the deliverer for Israel. He's the deliverer for the individual. In both cases, he delivers by taking care of the sin problem. Until that sin problem is taken care of, you can't be delivered. But by delivering, by, by taking care of sin, Jesus has delivered those that trust him. Now, great verse in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians Chapter number 1, 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 10. Well, let's start at, start at verse uh, 9. We have the sentence of death in ourselves, and we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Now watch this. Are you, are you saved tonight? Anybody here, anybody here saved tonight? You saved? Okay. Look, look at verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death? Praise God. That, that future, that, that past, that fear of death, that wages of sin, that condemnation, that wrath of God... Everything that was in my past, the moment Jesus cried, it is finished, the moment I trusted Him as my Savior, everything that was in my past, I was delivered from that by the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Who delivered, past tense, us from so great a death. When the Holy Spirit says so, it's enormous. So great a death. I wasn't just going to die. I was going to die condemned. I wasn't just going to die condemned. I was going to die condemned and wake up in hell. I wasn't just going to die. I was going to wake up in hell 
in conscious torment. I wasn't just going to wake up in hell. I was going to be in hell until the white throne judgment and then stand before God and be sentenced to eternity in a lake of fire. So great a death. How do you deliver somebody from so great a death? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The so of God's love is greater than the so of death. Praise the Lord. And if you're saved, you have been delivered from so great a death. Thank God. And, verse 10, and doth deliver. That's the ongoing present tense. The moment I trusted Him, He delivered me. And the hour after that, and the hour after that, and the day after that, and for a week after that, and for the first month, and for the first six months, and for a year, and then for a decade. You know what? He just keeps delivering and keeps delivering and keeps delivering and keeps delivering. So when a devil comes and tries to reclaim my soul, and sin comes and tries to drag me back into condemnation, and fear comes and tries to wrestle me back into its grip, the one who delivers me keeps on delivering me the same one. I don't have a deliverer for salvation and then get another deliverer for life. One deliverer with a capital D, that's Jesus, is all I need for lifelong deliverance. Praise God. But it's even better than that. Who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, and doth present tense deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. How about that? One day, one day, it'll be my turn. One day be my turn. This week, Annie lost a very dear, dear, uh, through the door, doorways of death. There goes, there goes mom. Right up, one, and, and, and then Sandy's daddy, right, right up the doorway of death. And then Carol's brother, right up the doorway of death. Three in one week. And that's just people we know in this one little group. And, and one day, it might be today, it might be tomorrow, it'll be my turn. I'll be standing right there. And death, death, be looking me right in the eye. So I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And fear will be standing right beside him, reaching out his hand. And torment, standing right beside him, reach out his hand. And uncertainty and doubt hovering right over the whole scene. And just in that moment... When everything I always said I believed and everything I always hoped for and all the trust I ever had, just as it begins to melt away and slip from my heart, just as faith tries to escape my feeble mind, the deliverer will step on the scene one more time and say, Death, be gone! You have no sting left to impart. You have no victory left to impart. You are finished. I defeated you. And he'll put out his arm. I'll put my arm in his. And he will escort me through the valley of the shadow of death. Where I will fear no evil. The one that delivered me. And the one that does deliver me. I believe he will yet deliver me in that hour. I sat. I I don't want to. Uh, caused my mother any unhappiness this evening. But I sat at my father's bedside and I just kept asking him. I said, Dad, are you afraid? He said, not in the least. I said, you're not, you're not worried at all about... He said, why would I be worried? And I'd go back in the next day and I'd see him. He, he's fading out, you know. And, and I, said, I said, Dad, are you afraid? He said, he'd look at me and say, no, I'm not afraid. 
Why do you keep asking me if I'm afraid? I'm not afraid. Now, it's one thing for me to stand up here and say, say I'm not afraid of dying. It's one thing for you to leave here and go out and get some ice cream on the way home and tell each other you're not afraid of dying. But when a man is laying there who is going to be gone in 48 hours and he looks at you and says, why do you keep asking me that? I'm not afraid. I know that the deliverer doesn't depart when death rears its head. He doth yet deliver. Lillian's dad was dying. He, he, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you. He, he poured salt on his food. He did. He drank Pepsis with every, with every dinner. He, he'd have dessert after breakfast. He'd have dessert after lunch. He'd have dessert after supper. I'm not kidding. He'd eat breakfast and he'd eat a, a little Debbie thing. I mean, it wasn't even human food. It was, it was something made out of scraps at a tire factory, you know. And it got him. A few months short of his 91st birthday, he had a heart attack. (laughs) So let that be a warning to you. You better eat right. And so he's laying there in in the ICU in his deathbed, and he's got the mask on, and you could kind of see him breathing from the fog it would put on the mask, and then there wasn't any fog. We were standing around his bed singing, and, and there'd be no fog, no breath. And we'd stop singing, hang our heads. He'd reach up and he'd pull that mask down. He'd say, sing! Put the mask back on. And we'd start singing again. And, and we'd think he's gone, faded out. We'd stop singing. Sing! <laughs> Put that mask back on. And we stood around his bed singing, My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. And... And, and all, the other, all these songs about heaven. And I watched that man lay in there, that bed. And, I, and I've, listen, I've seen this over and over and over again as a minister, as a pastor. Saved people are not afraid. Because the one who delivered them and the one who's kept delivering them all their life, he will yet deliver us. He took care of the sin problem. Praise the Lord. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He took care of that sin problem. Thanks be to God. And one day, one day, we'll wake up to sleep no more. And when we stand before our deliverer, see, even, even in, in a church like this, some of you are still not sure it's grace. Some of you, you know, it doesn't have to be a little bit of works. doesn't have to be... I mean, don't we have to do something? It just doesn't seem like it could just be... When you, look, when you look into the eyes of your deliverer, you'll realize there is not one thing I ever did but trust Him that got me to this place. I didn't help Him. I didn't assist Him. My good deeds weren't the icing on the cake. My clinging fingers were not holding on to Him. He got me there. He got me there. I remember Brother Yoder told me, that this might have been back in New Smyrna so long ago, he told me a story about this flea he was riding on the back of an elephant. And they went across this bridge and 
The bridge wasn't too sturdy, and that elephant, man, every time his foot stepped on that bridge, it, it rumbled a little bit, and he'd take another step, that bridge would rumble a little bit, and they got to the other side, and that, that flea hopped down, got in the ear of that elephant, and said, boy, we shook it that time, didn't we? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of us at the end of the day, saying, boy, Jesus, we really showed him, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm helping Jesus about as much as that flea was helping that elephant shake that bridge. He's the deliverer. He'll deliver Israel. He'll deliver you from your sin, your fear of death. And once He delivers you, He'll keep delivering you. And when the time comes when you face your last great enemy, we are sure, we are certain, we trust, He shall yet deliver us. Now, I think about these things. Maybe, maybe you don't. It seems like I spend so much of my time connected with death and dealing with death and funerals and funeral homes and that sort of thing. And there's many a night I've thought, what if I just chicken out and deny everything? What if I preach for all these years and then, you know, something goes wrong with my heart or my faith or my mind or, and I just... I just Then you've got to go to this verse. Will he not deliver us from all our fears? Will he not deliver us from all of our uncertainty? Have you not found in your life, you've been saving any length of time, have you not found when you got in a situation that was more than you could handle, you found yourself flooded with more grace than you'd ever experienced in your life? And I'm telling you, you say, I just don't think I'm strong enough for that. You're not because you don't need to be. And when you need to be, you will be. And I just don't think I can handle that, and you can't. But when you have to, you will. Because the one who delivers you has got more deliverance waiting for you right down that road. He, do, he hath delivered, he doth deliver, and he will yet deliver. I'm so glad of that. I, I, look at, I look at what's happened in my life since I got saved. If I had seen where this road was going to take me, I am, not, I am not at all certain I would have started down this road. I'm just being honest with you. God's sure been good to me. He's sure blessed me. There have been a lot of things happened along the way I, I might have opted out of. My pastor friends, most, you know, many of them my age and, and older, we met when we were late 20s, early 30s, and we were going to turn the world upside down, and we'd get in the pulpit and preach about faith and trust in God and conquering foes and everything else, and now we've all lived through heartaches we never expected, and trials and troubles we never would have believed would have come our way. And I'm telling you, if you had told any of us, five years from now, that's going to happen. Twelve years in, that's going to happen. This is going to happen with your children. This is going to happen with your marriage. This is going to happen in your church. This is what your best friend is going to do. Every one of us would have looked at that and said, I can't handle that. But you look back and every single time the deliverer showed up and got you through what you couldn't have gotten through. 
And I'm telling you, whatever's coming tomorrow in your life, the Deliverer will not abandon you. If that's His name, He can't be anything but a Deliverer. You're never going to say to Jesus, well, I thought, you, I thought you were a deliverer. That's his name. That's who he is. That's what he does. And whatever, whatever is down that road between here and heaven, he will yet deliver. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for a deliverer coming out of Zion to solve the world's political problems. Father, we thank you for a deliverer who paid for sin in his body on the cross that we might be delivered from the dominion of the devil and all that goes with it. And Father, we're thankful that the one who has delivered us and doth deliver us will yet deliver us all the way to that land that is fairer than day. Thank you, Lord, for already having a plan in place to save us from fears that have not yet set in upon us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a great God you are. Thank you for Jesus, the Deliverer. In His name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, let's